0: Finish this chapter today. It has taken me a few more steps through these first two chapters than I have planned, but um, there's some really important stuff in here. Chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Lord, we ask that you bless the teaching of your word. The reading of it has been powerful and sure, but I pray that now you would bless this message that it would edify the church, the lost will be saved, and the Lord will be glorified. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, already in Romans, just in the first chapter and a little bit of the second chapter, we've encountered this term, Jew, three times. The passage I just read, it's three more times in that passage. And there'll be a couple more times throughout this book that Paul used the term Jew. The first usage of it occurs back in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. And there it refers primarily... To the descendants of the tribe of Judah. In fact, if you read it, if you can look at the Hebrew, it looks like Judah, the word Jew that's translated Jew. But after the Babylonian captivity, this term Jew begins to be used to refer to the entire race of the people known as the Israelites, right? The physical descendants of Abraham. And oftentimes the term, if you follow it throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the term Israel can refer to the nation and the land of Israel, but often it's used to refer specifically to the people of God. Jew is the same. It can refer refer to the heritage of this people, their physical descendancy, their land, But often it's used to symbolically mean the people of God, right? His chosen race. Often we're reading in the Psalms and it'll say, O Israel or O Jacob. And if we're not familiar, we would wonder, what does that have to do with any of us? Well, it has a lot to do with us. Because we are Israel and we are Jacob, the people of God. That's what it's referring to. It's not meaning God bless Israel, the little piece of land in the middle east it means bless your people israel his special people on earth chosen in election from all the other people for no reason found in them but because of divine prerogative deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6 says for you talking to this jewish people this israel you are a holy people to the lord your god The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, God chose Israel. And so when reading the New Testament, we come across the term Israel or Jew. It's always important to look at the context to determine, is he talking about the descendants of Abraham, the land of Israel, or is he talking about the people of God? Because as Paul will say in Galatians, there is an Israel of God, and he's not talking about the land. There is an Israel of God, the people of God, the true people of God. Not just the physical descendants of Abraham, but those who follow the one true God. And those, the Israel of God, the true Jew as Paul called them here in our text, they don't have to just be the physical descendants of Abraham. They can be, but they are those who follow God from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. So a true Israelite is not determined by the blood of Abraham But by the blood of Christ, the Messiah, who was from the tribe of Judah, in relation to him, your relation to him is what determines whether you're a true Jew or not. So I want to set that context before we go and start trying to walk through this text. Because that's what's at stake here. What are we talking about? What does he mean by a true Jew? He means the people of God. What does he mean by the Israel of God in Galatians? He means the people of God. Not a nation, but the people of God who can be a part of that nation, but they can be a part of any nation, right? Because Paul will say later in Romans, we'll get to it, not all who descend from Israel belong to Israel. There he's using both ideas, right? Not all who descend from Abraham in that land called Israel belong to the true people of God, Israel. And so what he means is what we're talking about here in our chapter, or at the end of this chapter. Now, those of us in the Reformed tradition especially believe that because of this, these things I'm just telling you, that Israel is the representation of the church in the Old Testament and the New Testament as the people of God. Not the land, not the descendants of Abraham, but the true people of God. So whenever we see true Jew or the Israel of God or Israel or Jew in reference to the people of God, it is a representation of the church. In fact, I will say the whole purpose of God electing Israel is to show that he has elected his church. I think the Bible teaches that and we'll see this sorted out beautifully when we get to chapter 9 now we're a long way from chapter 9 but when we get there i believe paul brings the whole idea of god electing israel the nation down to it representing his electing individuals because after all a nation is made up of individuals a lot of times people look at romans chapter 9 and say well that's just talking about god electing nations well guess what nations are people And he elects every person in the nation if he elects the nation in electing Israel. And it's a picture of election in general, of his people. And I believe Paul brings that together in chapter 9 when he shows that Jacob was chosen over Esau while in the womb so that the purpose, he says, of election might stand. And I think he's bringing all that in chapter 9. We'll see he is talking about nations. But he also highlights for us, and I'll show you what that really looks like and what it is about how it relates to the church, I also chose Jacob over Esau, that the purpose of election might stand. He chooses individuals. He chooses Israel for no reason of their own. He chooses his church for no reason in them, and nothing that they have done. But listen to how he says this in chapter 9 of Romans beginning in verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Because God chose Jacob over Esau, because he chose Israel over everybody else, because he chooses it all. He uses this hypothetical man to ask this question. Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then It depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture said to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And then he goes on later to say in that same chapter, In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us Whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. See, he's making that statement. Hey, I'm talking about a chosen people of Israel, but that chosen people of Israel points to something else a chosen people of God, which is the church. And it's not only descendants of Abraham, but it's also the Gentiles who are not descendants of Abraham. They make up the church, right? The Israel of God, the true Jew. Some people call what I just said replacement theology and they claim hey you can't say that you're replacing uh, Israel with the church no I'm saying simply the Israel of God has always been the church when you open the New Testament and see the people of God called Israel in the Old Testament that is the church the true Jew has always represented the people of God and the people of God have always represented the church And the church, as we know, birthed in Pentecost uh, in the book of Acts after Christ, it came to its perfect fruition there and will continue throughout eternity. But Israel, the true Israel of God, the true Jew, is the church. That's the way a Gentile can be a Jew, right? That's how all this can apply to us. Back again to the psalm. Why should I read about what God has done for David and Jacob and Israel? Because I'm them in Christ. And that's mainly the point I think that Jesus is making in our text today. And, and I say that, Jesus is making this point, even though it's Paul's letter. Sometimes I just need to remind everybody that Jesus is the word, and all the scriptures is Jesus, not just the red letters, if you have one of those. All scripture is God's. Paul and Jesus are not writing different books. Paul doesn't have an angle, and Jesus has an angle. Paul is writing, and remember, as he is carried along by the Spirit of God, which is in him, which is Christ. Right? And so these words came from Paul's pen, but they are God-breathed. So I have no problem saying that Paul says it, but these are the words of Christ. And now if we look back at this text, I think we'll see what that Paul is trying to do, make this point, because you remember, he's in the context of judgment. We've talked about this the last two weeks. The idea of judgment, that God's going to judge everyone because everyone is worthy to be judged. And everybody's worthy to be suffering under the wrath of God. I mean, that's what the Bible says. That's not a pretty picture. It's not fun teaching on that. But the Bible is clear that every man, woman, boy, and girl, because of sin... Deserve the wrath and judgment of god and so paul's been making this point that god is going to render to each one according to his works he will judge in other words according to what each person has done the jew and the greek everybody because god shows no partiality and i've said over and over that god shows no partiality and he judges us by our works is both good news and bad news he is fair in his judgment he will be fair to those who have the written law and he'll be fair to those who do not have the written law. He'll be fair to those who have heard the gospel and he'll be fair to those who have not heard the gospel. And Paul made those points, and I pointed that out last week especially. But then he goes further. And I just mentioned earlier in Romans 9 that Paul used this is called the hypothetical man because he's writing. He's not having an argument with anybody, but he supposes that people are going to answer him in a certain way, right? And I think he's doing that here again. He's making these arguments, and he's thinking in his mind, because he is a Hebrew and he is Israelite, he's thinking, I know what some people are going to say when they hear this. They're going to think I'm only talking to the Gentiles, though I've been pretty clear, I think, at this point, that I'm talking about everybody, and he's even brought up the word "you" in our text last week, But now he's kind of getting back to this sort of hypothetical, maybe this question's going to arise. And so he says, okay, you call yourself a Jew. In other words, you're a descendant of Abraham. You've been circumcised according to the law of Moses. You are the people of God. You rely on the law. You boast in God, in fact. You know his will and approve what is excellent because of instruction. You believe you can help those in need. And those who need God, you feel like you're a guide to the blind, he says, and a light to those in darkness. And they know that because God has told them that's who they are through the prophets. Isaiah said, I will make you a light unto the Gentiles. So there, Paul is quoting kind of scripture to them. They know what he's talking about here. And he says, you're a Jew, so you claim these things. You claim you're an instructor of the foolish. You claim you're a teacher of children because you have the law. You have that embodiment of the knowledge and truth. In other words, you have it written. Nobody else on earth has it written, but you have it written. You teach others, he says. But hey, do you teach yourselves? Now, at the end of chapter 1 and end of... First of chapter 2, we talked about this idea of hypocrisy. He's already brought that up. But now hes I think he's bringing it to, to bear on the Jewish man himself. Hey, you're the hypocrite, by the way. In case you're wondering, you call yourself a Jew. When I said earlier that some people are hypocrites, I was talking about you. Do you teach one thing but live another? Do you steal while teaching against it? Do you commit adultery while teaching others not to? And man, if you, read, uh, if you read history, especially Jewish history at this time, adultery was huge among those who were Jews and those who called themselves the people of God. You remember I, I, I went back to that story in John uh, chapter 8 or 9 with the adulterous woman. And when Jesus said, "You who without sin cast the first stone," and, and it literally reads, "You who are without the same sin cast the first stone," that's why people walked away and didn't throw rocks. They were adulterers. And he says, "Do you hate idols? But yet you use the idolaters' temples in some kind of way. You claim you're not. You claim you're not an idolater, but you'll go in and use these idolaters' temples." Then he turns from questions to indictments. You who boast in the law, you dishonor God by breaking it, and that's not new. That's nothing new because he's he's pretty much quote he's pretty much quoting from both Isaiah and Ezekiel. The Old Testament says the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You can go back and see both the prophets say this, and he's quoting that to them. But then he brings it to cut even to the deepest part of their pride. No pun intended, but he brings it to the idea of circumcision. He's really getting down now. In case anybody is out there questioning or wondering, well, he's he's talking about everybody but the Jews because we know this stuff. We have the law. We have the law. We have our our, uh, morality And the people look at us and they think, wow, look at those people. They're godly. Because, you know, that's the way the Pharisees were, right? And so he says to them, you have circumcision, yeah. And it's of value if you obey the law. I think this is so interesting what he does here. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. The value is not in the fact that you've been marked. The value is in the fact that if God has marked you, it will mark your life. And he's saying to them, you can get circumcised all day long. But if you live like a heathen, then your life is uncircumcision." So the purpose, you remember, of circumcision, which was the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament, was that you are a physical descendant of Abraham, but the sign also pointed to the fact that you would be a spiritual descendant of Abraham. It wasn't just having the law that mattered, but obeying the law that mattered. I mean, the scriptures even say that. It's not he who, Paul just said this earlier, it's not the one who here. Here is but the one who does the law and of course we know that nobody can keep the law perfectly but the point paul is trying to make here again he's bringing everybody under condemnation you think that just because you're a descendant of abraham god won't judge you you're wrong you think because you've been circumcised god's going to pass over you you're wrong none of that proves anything you will suffer the wrath and judgment of God. And, of course, he's going to say, get to the point. Apart from believing in Christ, you will be judged. You were, your circumcision pointed to the fact that you belonged to God and that you would keep the covenant. And it was incumbent upon the Jew to keep the law so he brings this to, straight to their pride. You brag about being a Jew, about having the law, about your circumcision. But when you break the law, when you're a hypocrite, you're no different. And this would, have, this would have really struck. They would have not liked this at all. You're no different than uncircumcised. You might as well be a Greek. You might as well be a Gentile. Your circumcision matters nothing when you're breaking the law just like the heathen except for what we talked about last week your judgment will be greater because you have the law the heathen has not the law written you have it written you have the prophets it's worse it just highlights the destruction of the efforts of men here are the people of God the Jew, the true Jew supposedly, the Israel of God, they had the law, they had everything to bring them to God that they might see the Messiah and believe that he is the Christ. But here's the Bible exposing the mere will of man as being fruitless and powerless in spiritual matters apart from Christ. You can have all the amenities and all the advantages. And Paul said to the Jews, and you do have all of it. You even have all the outward indicators, but inwardly you can do nothing. In fact, he says, I'll even show you further, the opposite would also be true. The one who is physically or naturally uncircumcised, the non Jew, if he does keep the law that he doesn't even have written, but he keeps the law, he will condemn you who has the law. Again, neither Greek nor Jew can keep the law, and this point is hypothetical, but ultimately the point is you are relying on the wrong thing. I've given you the gospel. That is the power of God and the salvation, but you're still relying on the stuff you do rather than what God has done in Christ. The law is good, and advantage is great, but nothing you will possess, Paul says, will commend you to God. Because remember, God is just and fair. And if you want Him to judge you according to the law, then guess what? You're going to fail, but He will judge you according to the law, and He will judge you according to your works. And he'll, he'll judge you according to your circumcision, whatever you want him to judge you by. All those things we just read in the last section, you will give an account of. We talked about this last week. Those with the law will break it and be judged by it. Those without the law, if they could keep it, if they could bring judgment against those who have it, they would. But the simple truth is, even if the Jew or the Greek or the Gentile could keep the law in all his outward parts, even if he does bear the marks of the covenant in his outward parts, inwardly he's broken, and that's where God looks, right? And I think, again, that's where Paul is bringing this down to. Hey, 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 Jewish man, Jewish woman, you only look at the Gentile because you think all the outward stuff that you've been given, the blessings of God, the law of God, the circumcision of God. You're called the people of God. You think all that's going to get you to God, and you've missed the whole point. The law was given to you, and remember what Moses said, if you keep it, you'll be blessed. If not, you'll be cursed. The law was given to prove that you would never be good enough to get to God. There's this continual sacrifice, all daily blood shedding that ultimately is fulfilled in the whole book of Hebrews is so beautiful that Christ fulfilled all those once and for all. You don't need more marks. You don't need more books of the law. You don't need more copies of the law. You need Christ. Because he says for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. Again he's saying the law can't save you. The law can condemn you. It's the gospel that I preach to you that will save you by the spirit. Because he says his praise is not from man but from God. These Jews are still looking for praise of men, and he's trying to point them past that. And man, this point right here, this is where we need to take heed today. This is where probably application is best made. We don't have circumcision as a sign of the covenant. Of course, the New Testament sign of the covenant is baptism, and we administer it after conversion, as the New Testament clearly demonstrates we should. However... I think the same thing that Paul was warning the Jew about, we need to be warned about, because if not careful, our baptism can become uncircumcision. You could say, well, I've been baptized. So? You know what that does? That obligates you to live according to God's word. It doesn't save you. Just like Circumcision didn't save, it obligated them to the law to live. Baptism is a sign and a symbol that says, look what God has done for me. Just like Jesus was dead and buried and raised again, so too he has brought me from the dead and raised me to walk in the newness of life. But it also says, and I'm going to say to the world that I belong to him, and now from here on I'm going to do everything within my little ability according to the Spirit of God to repent of sin and walk according to his word. And every time I fail, I'll run back to Christ, which would be often and daily. I won't run back to my baptism. I won't run back to that day I said whatever somebody told me to say or the day that I was born again, the day that I clearly know that God saved me. I'm not going to run back to that. I'm going to run past that and go to Christ. Lest those things, lest my baptism, lest my church attendance, lest my day of salvation lest those victories that God's given me over sin become uncircumcision and paint me just like the rest of the world I don't want to be painted like the rest of the world I want to use these things that God has given to me to glorify him and to glory in him and consider them blessings that he's given me these things and not look at those things and say look at there man I won't won't stand in judgment I won't be condemned in judgment I will stand in judgment because I joined the church because I got baptized no none of those things we have to be careful that those things don't become uncircumcision in other words don't make us just like unbelievers who don't have it something else I, I read twice this week that I would have rather skipped We have to be careful our theology doesn't become uncircumcision. That we're boasting and talking all the time about, look at my my theology is good, everybody else is bad. My knowledge of the Bible is good. I know some dummies that don't know much about the Bible. I know a lot of stuff about the Bible. That can become uncircumcision. If I start trusting in that, and I start trusting in my knowledge and my theology, in the end of my theology is just more theology and the end of my theology is not christ it can become uncircumcision and i'll just be like an unbeliever now again don't mishear me i'm not saying you can be saved and then mess up and then be unsaved or you can be saved and get baptized and then do some bad things and none of that counts you gotta go back and start over The only way that we are saved is by grace through faith in Christ. He gives us faith to believe. We trust Jesus that he has saved us, that he died for our sins. If he died for my sins, how could I be lost? That's salvation. If the God of glory became a man and lived a perfect life and died in my place, we sang this last week. I don't know if you caught that one verse in that song. How can God twice demand payment for my sin? Once at my bleeding shirt, his hand, and again at mine. I, that, God won't do that. It's been paid for. And if you look at Jesus and say, he died for me, and he paid for my sin, then it's paid for. Believe that. Repent of your sin and be baptized. And trust that these things are the pictures that God has given to you to give you assurance that you belong to him. Not as a way to say, look at me, man. Look, at, I was special. No you're special now because God saved you. He loves you. That's an awesome thing and for those of us who are saved, I think this is the thing we just ought to think about from time to time hey am am I a Jew inwardly or outwardly? am I am am I part of the Israel of God or I just like what it looks like to be considered a Christian? Not so that you doubt I don't want you doubting. I don't want you to get up every day and think, man, I sinned 10 times yesterday, so I don't know. No, I want you to consider these things as a way of being reassured that you belong to Him in Christ. Does your theology point to Christ? Does your knowledge and desire to read the Bible giving you more knowledge of who He is? Do these victories that He gives you cause you to run back to Him? The next time, or does it give you confidence to boast in yourself and think you did it on your own? A little bit of you and a little bit of God. Especially in the, in the area of salvation. Don't trust in your church attendance. Hey, I think this is a great church. I thank God for it. I really do. Me, me and my family, we're thankful for this church. But this church will not save you. I hope our theology is correct, but that won't save you either. Only Christ. I think it's healthy for us to think back, Not again, not to be doubting, but think about this kind of stuff. Man, have I been lately trusting in anything other than Christ? If so, re- repent of that. And ask God for more faith in Jesus because that's the only way we will stand in judgment. It's the only way and the only reason that even though God will judge us by our works and no idle words will go unnoticed, that we will be in glory with God is not because he looked at our works and said, well, yours is better than so-and-so's. It will be because Christ's works were accounted to us, right? That's salvation. That's a glorious thing. These are good things to think through. I hope that um, I hope you've been helped. Let's pray. Father, we pray your blessings on your word. God, we just want to honor you I I don't want to preach in certain ways just so it makes me different than other people. I just want to, I want your people to grasp who you are and to see these beautiful truths that never glorify man, but they glorify you. And I think that would be a great thing for us to consider. Is there anything in my life that I look at and think about that causes me to glory in man rather than God? Because... Paul is condemning the Jews here for that. We should glory in you and you alone, boast in you and you alone. And the truth is, sometimes we're, in our human depravity, even if we're saying one thing, we're thinking something else. We don't want to receive the glory of men, but sometimes we like it. And so, times like that, again, I don't want anybody to doubt their faith in Christ, but I want them to be rather brought back to remembrance that this is why you need them, because you can't keep the law. You can't do right always. can't even do right most of the time, none of us. That's why we have a great and awesome Savior whose name is Jesus. We thank you for this time together in his name. Amen.